Welcome to part three of the mini-series on increasing equity for all learners. In this episode, Don and Pam help us reflect on the importance of culturally responsive teaching and give us tips on how to make math tasks accessible to all learners. If you haven't yet listened to part one, pause here and click on episode 37. Welcome to the Kids Math Talk podcast where in each episode, we give parents and educators practical tips and insights that will deepen mathematical understanding while also encouraging the conversation about math to remain active and positive. I'm your host, Desiree Harrison, elementary math coach and Kids Math Talk founder. So when we're, th- we're thinking about funds of knowledge and every child is brilliant and we just have to really know our students, like you all were saying, with some of the guiding principles in the last chapter of your book, which is called Supporting Students with Other Special Needs, you touch upon a variety of situations such as math anxiety and students living in poverty and English learners. And another one mentioned is culturally relevant teaching. So that's become a big buzzword in education. Mm -hmm. And saying that is probably eliciting some type of emotion in anyone who's listening. So what can you tell us about the connection or connections between supporting students with other special needs and culturally relevant teaching? I'll take that. I was the lead author on chapter 12, and and I'm so very thankful for having had the opportunity to read widely on some very important topics. They're included in the chapter, and and we include it not to give all of the final answers, but to spark conversation and honest dialogue and, and hope to move us all forward on these critical ideas. And so culturally responsive teaching is, is one of those topics. You know, I've been involved in math recovery, like I said, since the 1990s, long before it was incorporated as a nonprofit. And math recovery pedagogy just has radically changed my thinking in some very powerful ways. I really think I was practicing culturally responsive teaching long before I ever got around to reading Gloria Latson Billings or Zaretta Hammond. And I attribute that to math recovery. Math recovery taught me to listen carefully to students and closely observe their innate problem solving, then to take that understanding and use it as a jumping off point for accelerating instruction. We accelerate instruction by focusing in on those critical aspects of numeracy that are so foundational and so empowering that we talked about earlier. So in math recovery, it's it's also largely about the relationship between the teacher and the student and building the student's intrinsic satisfaction with solving mathematical problems. And, and I've, I have seen kids from a number of different backgrounds over the years blossom during math recovery. And, and it's because they realize that they do have the ability, they're they're empowered to solve problems and and to share in the classroom. And and a child will go from never participating in the classroom to all of a sudden, they're one of the star participants in the classroom. And it's just so empowering. And so, you know, it's about teachers believing that students can learn and then engineering the opportunities for that learning to happen. That's the heart of culturally responsive teaching. And that's also the heart of math recovery. And that, uh, that's why I'm just so passionate about it. Loving this podcast? Great. Subscribe so you know when new episodes are released and leave us a review on Apple so that others can find these episodes. 
We are stronger together. I do want to talk a little bit about what I consider a hallmark piece of math recovery, or it's one of the first things that I might mention to a teacher who's asking about math recovery, and um, that's the idea of performance assessments. And in chapter five, you all continue to embed equitable access and ensure all have opportunities to learn by offering some accommodations for assessing students with different abilities. So can you talk to us about what some of these accommodations are that educators can start using with students, maybe even tomorrow? Okay, I'll start just with some definition. As an, someone who doesn't have a degree in special education, often we get confused a little bit about what accommodations are and what modifications are. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, when we make accommodations, we aren't changing the rigor of what we expect the student to do. What we're doing is making the task or the responses accessible to that student. For example, if you're working with students who have visual impairments, you might need to make the visuals larger or add a tactile element to the visual models. For example, on a 10 frame, you might use something with a rough surface um, in place of the dots on the 10 frame. And this is another instance when students need more wait time because you can't feel as quickly as you can see. So when you're asking students how many dots are on the 10 frame, you know, if you flash it, they can see it very quickly and tell you, but feeling it takes a little bit longer. Another thing you might try in a classroom, if you have students with visual impairments, if the teacher is quickly showing 10 frames or other dot cards and the students are calling out the quantities they see, a student with a visual impairment might might be showing that quantity on their fingers. So they're practicing their finger pattern still involved in the activity, even though they can't see um, what the teacher is showing the rest of the students. Another norm that we have in math recovery is generally um, to sit side by side with students so that we can observe things such as maybe how they might be using their fingers, what they might be looking at as they're um, solving problems. Another reason to sit by, side by side is because we like to use video and it's easier to see the actions of the teacher and the student when you're sitting side by side. However, if you have students who are deaf, hard of hearing, it's more beneficial for them if you sit across from them so they can read your lips, see your facial expressions. And if you happen to be working with an interpreter, it's important that the interpreter understands the difference between asking a student to show you a quantity on their fingers, as opposed to showing you the sign for a numeral, which is like their verbal expression of a numeral. Usually our assessments are presented verbally, but some students may benefit from having the questions written or having notation. This can be helpful for students who have difficulty with working memory or auditory processing, for example. I'm taking a quick break to remind Kids Math Talk listeners about all of the math professional development books that are available through Corwin Mathematics at us.corwin.com. Many of the authors of some of the latest titles have been guests on the podcast, including the authors featured in today's episode. Want free shipping? Of course you do. Then use our special code KMTSHIP, that's KMTSHIP, all caps, at checkout. Now let's get back to the interview. I also like to talk a little bit about modifications. Modifications are when you are actually changing the task 
to make it easier for a student. And we use modifications because we want to find out what a student can do independently. Often when I was using the assessments to assess students with disabilities, more significant disabilities, I would get a list of the things that they couldn't do. It's not helpful to have a list of things that students can't do. You need to dig a little deeper and find out what they can do. So I need to modify the tasks. Our goal is that one day the student will be able to do uh, the original assessment. But again, we need to go back and find out what they do know. One modification might be to provide the student with some response options. For example, if we're asking the student to tell us the number after 29, we might give them three cards to choose from 10, 30, and 20. Eventually, we'll want the student to be able to just tell us that number after 29 without having the choices presented. But as a modification, I want to know, can they at least recognize it when given some choices? Facility with number word sequences is an underlying skill that is needed for students to be successful problem solvers. It's important for teachers to be mindful of the problems we present to each student and and make sure that it falls within their level of facility. Lack of facility with number word sequences often masks the ability of a lot of students. So they have more sophisticated strategies, but they lack the number word sequence to be able to execute those strategies. And um, recently I was um, substituting for one of our math champs and um, I was working with some fifth graders and one of the students was absent that day. So I was just one-on-one with with one of the students and um, they had just gotten their kits for math champs, which is a blank box and they can decorate it however they want. But in this case, they came to school, they did their math champs and then they left. So there was no time for them to decorate their box. And I said to him, well, if you were going to decorate it, how would you decorate it? And he said, oh, with semis. And I said, semis like tractor trailers? <laughs> semis? And so we had this conversation about that. But then I was later able to then draw on that interest when we were talking about multiplicative scenarios. So just, you know, if I hadn't had that little conversation with him, I never would have known. Who would have guessed that a kid would have interest in tractor trailers and, and trucks and things? So, yeah. yeah. Every, every conversation is an opportunity. Absolutely. We just have to keep talking about these issues to, to gain greater clarity and to help define things for people. So when a term is used, we have that shared understanding because there's mm-hmm. a lot of mis- misunderstanding and confusion out there. Right. And, you know, one step at a time. Mm-hmm. Right. One step at a time and building on what we know and affording ourselves grace for when we didn't do things the same way we would do them today. Thanks, Thanks Desiree. for and having us. This is very yes, fun. It, it was fun. Um, and I also wanted to mention that Dawn and I both have author pages on Facebook, too. If somebody prefers that social media platform, um, that's another way to reach us as well. As we end the third part of the Increasing Equity for All Learners mini-series, Reflect on the following questions. Teachers, what accessibility or modification strategies are you already implementing into your practice? Which one will you commit to adding to your practice? Parents, how will you begin conversations with your child's teacher or principal about the importance of culturally relevant and responsive teaching? The last part of this mini-series, episode 40, is a bonus episode that helps us connect 
all of the guiding principles. And at the very end of episode 40, there's even a self-check quiz for you to test your knowledge about these principles. I'll see you there. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to keep the Kids Math Talk conversation going. You can always tweet me with questions or comments using the handle at Kids Math Talk. You can also head to my website, kidsmathtalk.com slash podcast for previous episodes of this podcast. And join us next week for another episode of the Kids Math Talk podcast.